Imagine bold, naturally-aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. If you want to support us, go to Patreon.com slash Last Podcast on the left. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Legally, I'm not a blade. As are many things that I do. I've been told again and again that I'm legally not obliged to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. I'm looking at the beautiful Marcus Parks, but to my left, it's an empty space. Where did he go? He's in Atlanta. Well, yeah, I'm down here in Atlanta, and you'll know we made the best barbecue you ever heard in your life. What accent is that? <laughs> That's all about Atlanta. That's brilliant. How's Atlanta going, Henry? It is seasonable. I'm really enjoying the people. Um, I had, um, oh my God. So the other day, it's one of my favorite restaurants in Atlanta is this place called Holman and Finch. And it's my favorite place because they do that snout to tail kind of cooking where it's like the, the chef will come to your table and he's like, we happen to have four suckling pigs here today. Uh-huh. And we have two of their kidneys left, and we'd like to split them and devil them. And then you just sit at the table going like, <laughs> bring me the kidneys, bring me the kidneys. God, you just, had, you eat like Ray Liotta from Hannibal. <laughs> I, I'm looking to die at the table. They had this thing called, um, oh, it's a pate melt. And it was a burger made out of just nothing but solidified pate. And meat mixed in with it, and like a little like burger, and oh god, a bit into it, and it was just like my dick got hot. We've talked about torture chambers and 9/11, <laughs> and that's definitely the most horrifying imagery I've had yet, uh, I've experienced yet on this show. But I'm so sad about David Bowie passing. That's right. That's what we're. <laughs> good God. All right. So that's what we're going to talk about today. David Bowie. Marcus is taking his unbelievable knowledge of music and the macabre uh-huh. and magic, and it's all combined into a great David Bowie episode. Exactly. This is our David Bowie tribute. Of course, it should come as no surprise to any of you that I'm a gigantic David Bowie fan. Henry's also a big David Bowie fan. Ben, your opinion? I like him. <laughs> See, the- I think that's what—that's the tell of a true David Bowie fan. Instead of you say, "Be like, what do you think of David Bowie?" and he goes, "I like him. I like him." And I, but you know, I'm jealous. He was so skinny. You get the feeling he could have all the food he wanted, and he wouldn't gain a pound. Yes. But you know what, Ben? You'll actually relate to him. Mm. Remember how you lost all that weight? Working out and healthy diet, cocaine and gin and soda. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, David Bowie meant a lot to me as well. Uh, it meant a lot to my group in college. It was just it was just one of those things where we would have sing-alongs to Hunky Dory, all that shit. He, you know, he gives you gives you an allowance to be weird. I heard him at a young age. It was great. It's like it was it was a theater kid thing. So everybody was like, I can be queer all I want to be, but it's still at the same time I kind of just want to kiss Becky. And everyone's like, <laughs> You're lame. You're so square. Because <laughs> I don't want to suck a dick. Mm. And I understand that. But David Bowie also, besides being a rock legend, was an occult just symbol he was a in and of himself. Yeah. And he lived the life completely. Yeah, he absolutely did. And before we begin, I'd like to first and foremost acknowledge and highly recommend Season of the Witch by Peter Bebergall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the most well-written, accessible, and entertaining books on the occult that I have ever read and i'd recommend it to both magic and music fans it's all about how the occult saved rock and roll Mm. that without the occult rock and roll would have been nothing but a flaccid flash in the pan so without the occult we wouldn't have such great bands as wasp (laughs) (laughs) we wouldn't have wasp we wouldn't have poison not a single bit of rat Uh, other sources uh, for this episode uh, are the article uh, The Fall to Earth by Peter Doggett and a ridiculously comprehensive piece written back in 1996 by uh, an OTO member named Peter R. Koenig. Uh, he had a lot of additional material on the occult matters uh, specifically. What's OTO again? Uh, the Ordo Templo Orientis. Henry, is that correct? I, I guess so. I'm not a Latin person. And I don't mean Latin as in Spanish. I mean Latin as a nerd in high school that's learning Latin because he wants to be difficult. <laughs> so our warts and all tribute to David Bowie. And by the way, this is a warts and all tribute. This is not going to be something where we only talk about the good aspects of David Bowie. This really is like he was a very complicated uh, and at times horribly annoying human being to the people Mm. around him. So Uh, you mean a traditional magician? (laughs) Sounds about (laughs) right. Yes, that's, that is how it always goes. But Absolutely. I also think the combination of occult and rock music and any sort of musicianship is, is a natural marriage because the, mm-hmm. you are projecting a personality out onto a group of people. It's, it's sort of the Grant Morrison idea of chaos magic. And I think it's an interesting idea Like if, in terms of when we do our chaos magic episode. This is an example of somebody who truly lived the lifestyle that it takes to be an actual chaos magician and have results, which again, what you're saying, m- means that you are complicated and annoying but grant morrison sort of believes that artists and writers are the last of the true magicians because you're creating something out of nothing Mm. and david bowie created personas that he then completely inhabited and created that we all we all believed in ziggy stardust Mm -hmm. we believed that this this was this entity he he wouldn't allow it to not not be true so that is the, the the literally the the nut of of magical belief. Well, you know yeah. that's why I, that's why I like Lemmy. You know, he was just dumb enough to always be himself. He wasn't trying to fool me all the time. Has anybody tried to order a Lemmy at a bar? <laughs> no, I have not. It doesn't work yet. No. Jack Daniels is really trying to get the Jack and Coke to be renamed the Lemmy. Oh. They're trying to do it, and I asked for one, and I was looked at like I was an asshole because I was in that moment. <laughs> yeah, I agree with whoever called you that. <laughs> yeah, but David Bowie, I, I can I can say that he was among, if not the most successful magician of 
the 20th century, if not our entire lifetime. This is what Peter Bebergall said in an interview about him. He said Bowie's music and performance were a magical practice, maybe even more potent than if he sat by himself in his room and tried to conjure a demon. And this is the point that he's making here. Compare uh, Bowie to, say, like Crowley. Like Crowley, arguably his only point in everything in all of his magical practices was sex and power. Which, and of course, power was tied completely into sex. Mm -hmm. But Bowie used magic as a force of creation, not just in music, but also, as Henry said, in the magical avatars that he created, Mm. specifically from 1972 to 1976. Mm -hmm. But Aleister Crowley also believed that... Are you going to do that now? Are you going to do the Crowley thing? Crowley (laughs) is how you pronounce it. Aleister Crowley. Yeah, who yelled at you? Which, which, what asshole yelled at you? That you listen I've been to. listening to too many podcasts about it. <laughs> and they always say Crowley. It's like when I was listening to Hardcore History and he kept saying Genghis Khan. And I'm just like, I, you know, I know. Yeah. I know what's proper. Yeah, I'm going uh, with the Aussie pronunciation. Crowley right? or Crowley? Ooh, that's tough to say. It's it actually is it is tr- it is pronounced Crowley. You're supposed to say Crowley, but come on, Mister Crowley. Yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. that just feel right? Yeah, Crowley sounds like a short, stout man who opens the door. <laughs> he is. Thank he you, Mister Crowley. By open the door, he meant it in, in magical terms. He meant force his cock inside of a young boy who thought he was just there for an internship. Ah. Uh. I see. <laughs> but would he the power aspect of it was kind of like mana and magic cards, if we want to get totally virginal about it, that he was – you build up the power using sex and then you're supposed to do something with it. But Crow- Crowley never actually used the power for anything. He just liked the sex and eating calm and eating menstrual blood all the time. <laughs> right, right. Hungry guy. Yes. Bowie is – is an active magician. And th- the way he harnessed audiences was kind of like how like a Batman villain did it. Are we the Batman villain or was it Morgan F- Fairchild, Morgan Freeman <laughs> in the um in the Batman Begins when he harnesses all the cell phones mm-hmm. to find the Joker? Is it the, or is it Dark Knight? That's, no, that's Dark Knight. That's the I'm second on six, one. 16 hour days in a row. My brain is <laughs> trash. For Batman lore. I'm sorry everyone who's yelling at the fucking radio right now. He used people in the audience to – because they then believed in him and Ziggy Stardust and stuff like that is just an example. It made it even more true. It's, mm-hmm. again, the idea of uh, perception meets reality. The Perception meets ritual equals reality. Yeah, David right. Bowie is possibly the best example of perception meets ritual equals reality. But, I mean, so if the crowd would have rejected the idea, he would have just gone backstage and it would have never ha- – he would have never done it again, right? Oh, no, no, no. Because you would just you'd... be some asshole in a costume shouting <laughs> right. about like <laughs> – Spiders on Mars. You know what I mean? Like, if he sucked, right? He still had to be a very good musician. Yeah, right. that's, that's that's what we must stress again and again is that he's also one of the best musicians of the 20th century, right? And one of the more talented dancers. Apparently, I read one story where uh, the, all the sound went out in a uh, concert, and he just did mime for 90 minutes, and the crowd was, went crazy because <laughs> so apparently he was the greatest mime. Can you imagine how much cocaine you must be on to do a pantomime performance for? T- 20,000 people. I just can't ima- I just can't stop thinking of Charles Manson as well coming on stage with him and just helping him do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like I can I know you're acting like you're in a box, but I can see the box. <laughs> So, David Bowie rising from his mirror. I'll just mime my way out of this. 
It really is. It's a, it's almost a, it's a superpower in a way. <laughs> it really is the way that he was able to control a crowd because he also believed in it completely. Like even up till you know very recently, up till uh, the the 30th anniversary of Ziggy Stardust that he was supposed to do something for in 2002, uh, he still to that day talked about Ziggy Stardust as a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just like oh when I was doing that Ziggy Stardust character, he was like. No, Ziggy Stardust would be very surprised to find out that I turned out to be a rational human being that actually survived this long. Mm-hmm. C- cocaine. <laughs> again, it's just amazing what it yeah. does. Uh, well, but yeah, again, this is the warning. You can't just put silver nail polish on and have like a pants with like a tail built into it and run around and think you're going to change the universe. You have to also learn to play guitar. <laughs> right, 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 right. And mime. <laughs> yeah. And Bowie, you, what you also have to do is you also have to be a nerd because Bowie was also a huge nerd. He was an interpreter of sorts. See, he was a voracious consumer of books, art, theater, and movies, and he was able to use all of these things that he consumed to create both the music that we know and love and the various characters that he inhabited throughout the 70s. And really, with Bowie, it just so happened that in the early to mid 70s, a lot of what he consumed was the occult and now it is widely accepted by most people that bowie's first album is not very good and of course had this been his only album almost none of us would know his name and even space oddity which is still pretty good mm-hmm. if that would all if that would have been all he released he would pe- pretty much be known as a one-hit wonder this but, is the most record store marcus you're gonna get <laughs> yeah, like yeah. if marcus worked at a record store <laughs> i did work in fact i am right now wearing my ralph's records t-shirt which is the record store that i worked at in college that's yeah, right. Space Flatterdy. It's pretty good. Uh, I mean, have you checked out Space Flatterdy? Yeah, it's named by this guy named Glavid Rowey. Uh, it's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's got to it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, this is total mar- record store of me. Uh, but after Space Odyssey, it's on his third album, uh, 1970's The Man Who Sold the World, that Bowie truly starts to become one of the greatest artists to ever live. And it's also, maybe not so coincidentally, where the occult references start to show up. Mm. Uh, now, his first interest in the occult starts off pretty soft. It's pretty much just on the very last track of the album. Some people argue that the first track of the album has some occult references, but eh, it's a bit of a stretch. But the Superman, he sings when all the world was very young and mountain magic heavy hung, the Superman would walk and file guardians of a loveless eye. And again, I'm just, actually... I'm just here to buy the new Adele album. <laughs> I, 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 there's a great song called Hello. Yeah, I know Hello's great, uh, but if you listen... Good, it's a pretty good breakup album, but I don't know if you've checked out this album. It's by Robert Palmer. It says, hey, it's Hey Girl, Don't You Leave. Oh, why are you leaving? Hey, leave. Hey, when you come back, please bring me some eggs. That's actually, that's the kind of breakup album I think you should be listening to it tells just like anybody's into so why should you also be into it i mean maybe just buying into the corporate fucking masters band. when i worked at a record store i took everybody to exactly what they asked for without trying to steer them from somewhere else because i cared that ralph's records was a thriving local business that's very nice of you so those <laughs> so those lyrics that we were just that i just read they hint that it's around 1970 that bowie probably read a book called the morning of of the magicians. Now, The Morning of the Magicians is a must-read book 
for anybody who wants to be a student of magic. It is outdated. Uh, it is uh, very silly. But the core ideas of it are very interesting, and it's more about seeing the train of thought. And Morning of the Magicians is a really good like seed of like the really the, the beginnings of modern chaos magic and how you can create your own reality by changing your perception. Is yeah. it outdated in the sense that it uses a lot of racial slurs, or is it outdated <laughs> in the sense that it talks about Nixon? No, no, it's outdated. It's outdated in the fact that it's like you know the end of all of these books are always being like, and if we just make a drum circle big enough, we can end all the wars. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like that's the yeah, right. so it's like you know that it just you can't yeah we're not it, we're not doing it yeah and it also it talks about the ancient aliens thing and it also mm. it actually predates uh, Eric von Daniken's Chariot of the Gods by about seven years or so uh, the ancient so- alien still has yet to be disproved <laughs> until I still believe the in, burden in, I think of a- proof is on the scientists. On the aliens. <laughs> That's where the burden of proof is, is on the aliens. I say until we hear their side of the story, I'm not going to say what's truth and what is non-truths. Absolutely well. not. So, Morning of the Magicians, the actual book, also contained quite a bit of information about, of course, Nazis and the occult, mm. the Viril Society, and... The Thule Society. And this would be a point in time that Bowie's fascination with Nazis could be called almost innocent. It's like Hmm. Nazi occult life. It would definitely become much more pronounced and much darker later on, just a few years later. But at any rate, Bowie would double down on his newfound interest in the occult with 1971's universally loved Hunky Dory. Like, Hunky Dory is... It's the college album. Like, that's that's mm. the Bowie album that you listen to in, you know, like when you're about 19 or 20, blows your mind, but it's also one of those albums that stays with you through the rest of your life. Like Sounds like the album you listen to when you go to a, a, a Sadie Hawkins dance. It's a very, it's never a very been, uh, Western, Midwestern uh, kind of country name, isn't it? Hunky you've Dory. never been around a group of people. <laughs> no, I have not. I'm not allowed around them. <laughs> I pummeled a child when I was seven, and they haven't let me be around groups of larger than two. So the occult references, and by the way, Hunky Dory starts off with the song Changes. So it could, po- I mean, I don't necessarily think that he was talking. Changes in the face, great changes. I fucking love it. I fucking love this album. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when we mention these things, you should stop the podcast and listen to one of these songs so you could get back into the fucking mindset. Actually, if you want, I made a playlist on Spotify that's called Bowie's Occult Songs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Parkes. Hell yeah. Ancillary fucking content, bro. <laughs> but I actually, I made that for my own purposes at first because you know i had to listen to these songs over and over and over again i mm-hmm. spent about 12 hours listening to nothing but bowie albums yesterday while uh, you and your girlfriend were making death masks of each other <laughs> no well we did listen to low while i had my death mask made until we got to uh side b when it really starts to get ethereal and weird and death-like and that's when i freaked out and had Started to get her creeps, to put on yeah. a talking heads record what's the death mask a death <laughs> It's a whole long story. We'll get a, to it. Okay. We'll, we'll do a whole episode it's a, on it. It's a whole thing. You know, a lot of couples go strawberry picking. <laughs> and then you did it. You made a death mask with your girlfriend. Yes, absolutely. Huh, yeah. Yeah, it was her Christmas gift to me. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she really it's wants like you around. It's like she's planning your death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing nefarious there. <laughs> so the occult references in Hunky Dory start with the second song, Oh, You Pretty Things. But 
they're still pretty goofy and innocent. If you'll remember from our Hollow Earth episode, we talked about a quote-unquote novel called The Coming Race. Now, in case you don't remember, The The Coming Race follows a narrator who encounters the Vril-Ya, a race of humans who fled the Great Flood of Noah, lost their way, ended up taking refuge in caverns, and decided to set up shop in the Hollow Earth. The Vril Ya were masters of the Vril, which was said to be the source of power that pervaded the entire universe and enabled them to influence the minds and bodies of others, gave them the ability to mip- manipulate weather, and also fly. A lot of people say that George Lucas uh, ripped off the <clears throat> concept of the Force mm. from the coming race. Right. Absolutely. A lot of people ripped off a lot of things from the Vril. Also, the coming race also remembered everybody that the, the coming race was essentially like the Silmarillion of the Nazi party, where it <laughs> was the the organic quote-unquote lore magical lore of the nazi party mm. so just also remember that yeah i can't stop <laughs> thinking this. of a group of people that just are constantly ejaculating <laughs> when you say the coming race just people walking down the street <laughs> like, oh, oh. Uh, he's one of the coming race <laughs> i'm sorry we're not hiring coming race people right now turns out not good for the coffee shop general zandor i've been trying to fight in the war but i just can't <laughs> <laughs> I want to get in the tank and I want to roll over that village, but every single time I get <laughs> We want to give you your rights. We want to have you on the front line, but you just can't stop coming. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. <laughs> that was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay! Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And, oh, they love their life, and they love the, They love what BarkBox brings because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, 
I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So, about the real this coming race, this is what the narrator had to say about them. I pray that ages may yet elapse before they emerge into sunlight, our inevitable destroyers. I have thought it my duty to my fellow men to place on record these four warnings of the coming race. And translated to huh. Bowie lyrics, that would be... From OU Pretty Things, they're the start of a coming race. The Earth is a bitch. We finished our news. Homo sapiens have outgrown their use. All the strangers came today, and it looks as though they're here to stay. And of course, don't forget about gotta make way for the Homo superior. So, in other words, Bowie was a hollow Earth nerd. I'm here for the miming. <laughs> Stop with the magic. Can you imagine if somebody watched the mime show and didn't realize that was, uh, you know, not supposed to happen and went to see him live? He's like, this is totally different. Hey, hey, this rock music is very loud. I prefer the silence of mime. Please, sir, think of the mimes. Think of the mimes. <laughs> so... I don't know if to you guys if that makes the song better or worse in your eyes, but you know that's a song that I've been listening to for 15 years of my life, and I just found out about the Hollow Earth thing maybe a year ago, mm. and to me that made the song so much better, and it really opened up David Bowie. It made me see David Bowie in a completely different light. When well, you, I had known him as before, because before David Bowie was Ziggy Sardas David Bowie. He was a music theater guy. His first album mm. sort of sort of a soundtrack to a theater show, a live show that he did. And so I always knew he was a nerd. And I also believe that yes, he has his interpretation. His content came from like the Hollow Earth from the Coming Race book. But at the same time, 
like what's the best part about art is supposed you're supposed to take it and you're supposed to put your meaning on it. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be about your experience to it. It's like, oh, you pretty things was like a song that my group of friends would sing in unison on mushrooms. Like this song to mm-hmm. me was always about like how the world would be a lot better if everybody took mushrooms, man. <laughs> but also because I was fucking nineteen. Right. I, I always- still believe that. I agree with you. I always think of that song. I say, all these pretty things. Beautiful voice I have. And I always have that going through my head when I look at puppies in the store. And I love it. And I want to hold them. So the other song on Hunky Dory concerning the occult quicksand is much more explicit as to what it's about. If you know absolutely anything about the occult whatsoever, quicksand immediately comes off as full of of occult references. The song begins... I'm closer to the golden dawn, immersed in Crowley's uniform of imagery. I'm living in a silent film portraying Himmler's sacred realm of dream reality. And if you listen to the entire song, I think what it's really about is something that me, Henry, and all of you struggle with. That is that magic is hard as fuck. Mm. It's also very isolating. Yeah. And the more you talk about it, the more you sound like a fucking crazy person. Yeah. He, he continues in the song, uh, I'm sinking in the quicksand of my thought, and I ain't got the power anymore. And the chorus goes, don't believe in yourself, don't deceive with belief, knowledge comes with death, death's release. And to Which me, is just rock and roll. It's just That's super funny. rock and roll, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to me, it sounds like that he's given up. He's just resigning himself to the thought that the answers he's looking for won't ever come until he's dead. Again, magic is very very hard and but can you also imagine mm. being his producer and at one point just being like hey david love this song love this song first of all you creeping me out i wish you'd drop the robe in the wand but again <laughs> it's your it's your life this is your life number two maybe the Hemler thing we can take it down <laughs> from like a 12 no, no, to like a no, two no, to maybe no, a zero no, maybe no, we can maybe no, do a no, zero on no, the Himmler. no 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 no. David, you are an artist. I love your energy. No. I'm just saying the UK, no. where we're at right now, not even 15 years ago, no. was like leveled by the Nazis. Absolutely not. No. Well, Essential. <laughs> Let's do it. That's the music industry. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> just spiking a rail. And it was great. That's how every single time you hit that hit that wall with an artist, you just go like, everybody shakes their head and just like, they all just snort. Yep. <laughs> and then, not coincidentally, this is about the time that the cocaine comes in mm-hmm. full effect with David Bowie. Not uh, that it ever not was there. It no. was there in the beginning as well. Yeah. Right. It was definitely it really there. It started taking the pilot seat. <laughs> After that, well, this is the yeah. good stuff. This is the seventies, right? Yeah, best cocaine around. Yeah, this and is David Bowie. Can you imagine right. being David Bowie's fucking weed deal, like weed or coke dealer? He actually weed did sh- not like weed. He said the the first time he hated weed. Oh. Uh, he said the very first time he smoked weed, uh, I think it was like with the bassist of Deep Purple or something like that. And the coolest way to smoke weed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he said that he just like uh, he said someone rang the doorbell. And Bowie went downstairs to see who it was and then got distracted by the cracks on the sidewalk and just followed those for a few miles and then realized he wasn't hanging out with the 
glasses for Deep Purple anymore. Not a weed guy. Not, Not a, a weed, weed guy. guy. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Following the cracks. His coke dealer just shown up dressed in a lightning bolt costume and roller skates. <laughs> just shows up being like, I just, you know, you know what was funny, man? Is that I didn't even think you wanted cocaine. I woke up this morning and I smelled you needing it. Yeah. Roller skate coke dealer. <laughs> Well, what Bowie's talking about in quicksand uh, is that, of course, like magic is very difficult and he's having a very, very hard time grasping it. Uh, And so he kind of starts taking shortcuts. And as we're going to see, shortcuts in magic are a very bad idea. So after Hunky Dory came what many people, including myself, consider to be one of the best rock and roll albums ever recorded, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And this album came with Bowie's first character creation, the titular Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy was a bit of a departure from the occult into the space alien sci-fi realm. Uh, And during a meeting between Bowie and William S. Burroughs in 1973, Bowie, who completely inhabited the Ziggy Stardust character, said that Ziggy came from a race of alien super beings called the Infinites who lived in black holes that used Ziggy as a vessel to give themselves a form that people could comprehend. David, uh, I just can't. I know you're talking about Ziggy like he's a real guy, but I just can't help but think it's a thing you're making up. I don't think I, you know, I, I don't mean to cast doubt, but I think maybe you're making them up. <laughs> Actually, William Burroughs came right back at him. He countered like, you know what? Actually, I want to open up an institute that will prepare people for the coming uh, race of alien super beings because we're not ready to interact with them yet, but I am totally on board. You know, know how that, that conversation started? Oh. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? You're right. And uh, at the same time, I think we need to make a cooking class for these aliens so they can learn how to make human food oh, so they can God. get jobs as short order cooks. <laughs> Anytime they like. (laughs) So maybe not so coincidentally, Ziggy Stardust also loved cocaine. It's a coincidence. (laughs) That is one of those. That's a coincidence. That's just one of those things that it's just like, is it a happy? Is it a happy coincidence or is it like a meant to be type thing? Is it fate? Yeah, basketball players like jumping, (laughs) and Ziggy likes cocaine. It's around this time that Bowie's legendary cocaine intake really started to ramp up, and with the cocaine came the paranoia. Here's what fellow magic user Alistair Crowley had to say about cocaine. Give cocaine to a man already wise, and if he be really master of himself, it will do him no harm. Alas, the power of the drug diminishes with fearful pace. The doses wax, the pleasures wane. Side issues, invisible at first, arise. They are like devils with flaming pitchforks in their hands. That Which was... means eating nothing but peppers and milk for a year. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> God, he definitely sold it. That sounds great. 
<laughs> now, it's my opinion that Bowie was attempting to use the cocaine to shortcut his way into transcendence, or at least to try to gain the knowledge that he had been trying to reach for the few years previous. And we'll get into later exactly where he got that idea. I uh, think that he, it's, it's like he is sort of looking for a shortcut. I also think it's about the confidence that cocaine gives you, right. where it's like it's not even just looking for a shortcut. It's that the cocaine makes you believe you have found the shortcut. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't have holes in my jeans. My skin is just fighting through. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's also like he already had millions of dollars at this point. Right. There were many people that were just kind of doing shit for him. So it's almost like magic was working. But he really just had a team of assistants arriving with the plates of peppers <laughs> and the pitchers of milk that he was eating. Yeah. And at some point he's just like, oh, I just think it. And it comes around because he doesn't realize that after breakfast every morning, after he's had his fucking cup of fucking Colombian coffee, he's like, he just thinks about peppers and milk and he thinks it shows up. But really, he's been yelling about it for 45 minutes. Right. That's very true. So he took a shortcut with cocaine. It's similar to uh, an athlete using the juice, using steroids, something like that. Yeah, I think I, it's somewhat like that. Yeah, I mean, he definitely he took a different path because most people, especially in the seventies, their shortcut was LSD mm. uh, or mushrooms or weed or anything like that. And Bowie went on record. He's like, I don't. He said he never liked hallucinogens. He didn't like LSD. He didn't like weed. His thing was uppers because Bowie was also a workaholic. He was also very hyperactive. Mm. He had to constantly be doing something. He released an album every single year, and some years released two albums from 1969 until 1980. Like, that is, a, and they are almost all fantastic. There are a couple of, of exceptions and a couple of yeah. albums that I don't necessarily like all that much. But for the most part, it's a body of work that is unparalleled by any other artist. I mean, how did he even have time to go to the bathroom? Was he just recording that too? Some, uh, <laughs> the you the don't bathroom really, album? You don't really go much to the bathroom when it's just nothing but cocaine and milk in your system. <laughs> I feel like that is the recipe. pounds. Yeah, but... I, I'm going to have to say I usually agree with 100% with Mr. Henry Zabrowski, but cocaine and milk, that is a recipe for a problem. <laughs> no, no, no. You get the peppers to even it out. <laughs> oh, God. That is yeah. so painful. And you guys might be thinking we're joking. No. David Bowie survived on cigarettes, cocaine, peppers, and milk for like two years. And nobody, and nobody, not even Bowie knows why he did it. He just fell into it. It's like, well, this is me now. I Can just you imagine feel... what his breath smelled like. Yeah, I was going to go <laughs> close to him. Yeah, I, and I'm thinking, you know, he had a lot of women at this time, I would assume, as well. What does that taste like, his, uh, <laughs> his magical sauce? Uh, he was married to a woman named Angela from 1970 to 1980. Who, And by the way, they did also have a pretty open relationship. Uh, he, Bowie was super fond of the blowjob. Um, Poor person, though. I mean, that that's milk, uh, peppers, cigarettes, yeah. and Coke. Can you imagine what that cum tasted like? Oh, that's yeah, what I'm probably asking. burnt a hole through the tile, <laughs> <laughs> like an alien, like the alien's blood. <laughs> so, no matter what we say, Bowie, what was going through Bowie's head at the Ziggy Stardust time, he was in way over his head. So, 1974 saw the release of Diamond Dogs 
which Diamond Dogs does not get enough credit for its completely horrifying post-apocalyptic imagery. The opening track, Future Legend, is an extremely unsettling spoken word piece wherein Bowie talks about how, quote, fleas the size of rats sucked on rats the size of cats. But he was trying to build up to a rhyme for that. <laughs> he got it. He got there. He got there. And the gayfold cover of the album is an absolute beautiful horror. It shows Bowie as a naked half dog man, top half Bowie, bottom half dog, mm. flanked by two overweight blue dog women in green bikinis. All three have this weird, bizarre kind of troll hair, red, and all three look like they're ready to kill. No cocaine involved anywhere in that cover design. <laughs> I just want to be the employee at Sears when they show up for the photo shoot. I'm like, what kind of backdrop do you want? We got the tree, we got woods. I want something that shows the power of stasis and how I am between God and man on a spaceship to Mars. We got a blue. We got a blue one. I like the blue. Oh. <laughs> Diamond Dogs marks the point in Bowie's career when the simple and somewhat innocent fascination with the occult that he had used on, for inspiration on Hunky Dory and The Man Who Sold the World turns into a full-blown, extremely harmful obsession. And with Bowie's status as a world-famous rock star increasing steadily along with the paranoia, it was almost certain that conflict with other world-famous rock stars would occur. David Bowie found his antagonist in the form of Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page. Oh. And if you don't know, and I found out recently that some of you out there don't, Led Zeppelin was one of the heaviest bands of the 70s, particularly the early to mid-70s. And their stock and trade were songs about either fucking or magic, specifically Lord of the Rings type magic. Right. Jimmy Page, in particular, the guitarist, was heavy into the occult, and he even went as far as to buy Aleister Crowley's old house, which coincidentally burned down just a few months ago. And I'd like to think that Bowie, in one of his last wishes, mm -hmm. burned it down himself. Burn it down. Burn it down. Burn the wizard's house <laughs> down. Right. He will not conquer me in death. <laughs> I, I don't know. you meant at the time, because I just can't imagine that Bowie in the 70s while all of that coke is just like... His, he's just so flimsy that he can't even, like, strike a match. Yeah, <laughs> the match wins somehow. He lights himself on fire. Now, it was said that Bowie was deathly terrified of Jimmy Page because he believed that Jimmy Page was a powerful warlock hell-bent on casting harmful spells against him. We've got a nerd alert. It's a post-mortem nerd alert, and can it's going actually, for David Bowie. Can you understand that, like, most people in bands, aside, honestly, except for Marcus, are incredibly lazy. <laughs> I'm lazy stunned. people. They they have no drive. They sitting around noodling. Jimmy Page, I'd like to think yes, he liked to wear a wizard's hat, and yes, he liked to he liked to write magic lyrics and stuff like that. But I think one thing that we forget in all of this is that occult teachings and magic writings also just straight up help you get laid. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And that if you want to talk about magic all the time, it helps you get laid by the exact type of people that you want to get laid by, witchy people. You want to meet a hot witchy woman, 
you got to talk about magic to get him to want to have sex with you. Yeah, but and it, that's what Jimmy Page also may have been doing. I'm going to say <laughs> the world famous rock star behind the uh, the magic discussion probably helped. Yeah, if you're putting up fucking yeah, rebuter parts at right. Radio Shack and you're trying to talk to a woman there being like sometimes I believe that this realm is just a fold on top of the next. <laughs> just right. like I don't even know why I'm in a Radio Shack. I don't need anything from 1992. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're Jimmy Page, you can sit and talk about hermeticism, but you can also pause every once in a while to say, play the riff from Whole Lot of Love. Right. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. And panties just like literally go, and, like seams just shoot out the side and the pussy just goes like, Whoop, and all of a sudden he's just like, he becomes really tiny in his mind and he's up inside of her. Do the panties <laughs> go into the, uh, or out, like an Incredible out. Hulk thing or sort of a out. Assumption like a black hole thing. <laughs> it's out, and then he's tiny, crawling up the her labias, and then going up to the clit, and just <laughs> like it's a fucking speed bag. Yeah, like a drum solo. Well, <laughs> well, of course, a lot of this is anecdotal type stuff, but I, in my research, found a comment on the website mysticbanana.com titled "Is it true Jimmy Page tried to kill David Bowie with his magic powers?" That just might refute this. This is what the comment said in full. Nah, it was never true. JP actually liked having DB around at his beckoning because DB always had the best heroin connections in the States. Me. Jimmy was actually so fond of DB and tried to help him out of his paranoia by leaving DB fingernail clippings in a milk carton full of urine for DB to keep in the refrigerator alongside of his own so that DB could have a spell cast on JP if DB found his paranoia to be true. As weird as it is, it sounds today. That is the honest truth from an ex-heroin dealer who was there. (laughs) We got some purple stuff. We got some orange juice. We got a piss gallon piss jug don't full of fingernails. That, don't you dare touch it. That's my Jimmy Page here, and I used to cast a counter spell if he ever finds my magical elixir. What What kind of apple juice is this? This is a tasty... Uh, hmm. Do you like it? Yeah, I do. I mean, this is very good. God. Sometimes I wonder why I keep all this urine in the fridge, but then I just... <laughs> Got a, peppery. Got a peppery. I just feel fine. Then I know why. I know exactly why. Hmm. <laughs> well, either way, by 1975, Bowie was in the throes of full-blown cocaine psychosis, which is an actual medical condition. He would late. He later said that he was hallucinating almost 24 hours a day during this period, and he always kept a copy of Psychic Self Defense by Dion Fortune nearby, which describes itself as a quote safeguard for protecting yourself against paranormal malevolence. Hmm. Well, I'm so glad everybody can join me at my house right here. This is my gold record for Ziggy Sawdust and Spiders from Mars, and over here, this is just a safeguard for protecting yourself against paranormal malevolence. And over here is the refrigerator. <laughs> Where I keep my Jimmy Page urine. Now, if you all please leave, what were the please last? Leave this dinner party is over. <laughs> kind of straight. The last two things were kind of odd there. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's. A daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped 
egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. 
So besides protecting himself from Jimmy Page, Bowie also became convinced that a coven of black lady witches were trying to steal his semen so they could use it to impregnate themselves to create a baby Bowie to sacrifice to the devil. Now he might be onto something there. That could that that seems actually kind of reasonable. And being single is hard. It is. It is. Before Tinder. He also sometimes switched to believing that the black lady witches wanted his semen for the purpose of building a David Bowie homunculus. What's a homunculus? A homunculus is a totem type creation normally in the shape of a body that is uh, said to a lot of time in ancient jewish lore that you can use it to uh create they call also called a golem that you can use this thing to serve like it's a it's kind of like a frankenstein monster and you can use it either for a magic ritual like as, as a to stand in place of a person that you're trying to do something for or against in a ritual or for it to come to life on its own and mm. i guess do copycat albums? Is that what they want to do? They think it's going to roll around and steal David Bowie's cocaine? I just feel like it's a really mean thing to call a tall person in high school. Homunculus. You're actually pretty lucky that no one's ever called you that. Called I know. I don't have any magic friends growing up. They did a lot of coke, though. So David Bowie in 1975 arrived at what could be called the cocaine capital of the world in the mid-70s. San Antonio, Texas. Is that right? Am I right? No, no. Oh. Los Angeles, California. Ah. And I actually have to take it back. This is where he hung out with the bassist for Deep Purple. Uh, that would be Glenn Hughes when he first got to Los Angeles. But he would soon move out of Glenn's house after finding out that he was living just a few doors down from the site of the La Bianca murders perpetrated by oh. the Manson family, which it must be remembered in 1975 that it only happened six years before and of course there had also you know another person in the music industry if you'll remember uh dennis wilson was heavily involved with the manson family so manson and magicians at that point in time weren't a groovy mix especially if you're all psychoed out on cocaine that's interesting i would have thought that he might uh, be drawn to it it's kind of cool, no? I mean, it's kind of cool. Maybe at a different point in his life you yeah. would have been drawn to it. But if you're all gacked out, uh, the thought that uh, an entire family of hippies might come and murder you tends to freak you out a little bit. Yeah, his paranoia was already at its height. Yeah. And uh, all of that just seemed like some pretty heavy, dark vibes, yeah, I right. imagine. And yeah. Helter Skelter was already well-known. The entire story of the Manson family at this point was well-known. At least Vincent Bugliosi's version of the Manson family was well-known at this time. And Bowie was very, very uh, aware of the devil at this <clears throat> point in his life, mm-hmm. uh, as we'll see uh, with what happened when he moved into his next house. So him and his wife, Angela, ended up buying a house that was formerly owned by the dancer Gypsy Rose Lee, who Bowie discovered soon after moving in had painted a hexagram on the floor of one of the rooms. And after Angela, David Bowie's wife from 1970 to 1980, as she told it, she spent days calming down Bowie after that little incident. Yeah, I feel like she's really the unsung hero here. She must have been aging like the president. I mean, how <laughs> difficult is it to be Angela, the wife of coked-out, gacked-out oh, David it, Bowie? She, but she definitely did not age well. I'm sure and she did. this time period, I think, fucked with her uh, pretty hard care I to make her so. who she is now. She's yeah. a fucking mess now. Yeah, but if you uh, read, like, say, uh, if you read uh, Please Kill Me, uh, which is... That's her autobiography? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's an oral history of uh, of punk. Uh, it's a one of the best rock and roll books ever written. Uh, but if you read that book uh, and you listen to some of the people that are sort of that were sort of behind the scenes, uh, a lot of them say that Bowie wouldn't have made it without Angela. Mm, that I'd, she yeah. sort of steered him in the right direction musically. So after the whole hexagram uh, fiasco. David claimed that he witnessed with his own eyes the devil rising out of their indoor pool one night. So oh, I'm going to say rich people's problems. <laughs> Can I just yes. kind of not have sympathy for the guy who, <laughs> who imagined Satan coming from his indoor pool? That's awesome. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because the whole time I've just been like, oh, yeah, finally made it. That's yeah. thinking, like, hell yeah, Satan. <laughs> I don't know what I just noodled on my fucking guitar, like watching him fucking dance on top of my hot tub. I think I have a dark brain, though, because I watched that documentary, The Nightmare, everyone with sleep paralysis. They looked like great dreams to me. <laughs> this sounds this like bad. an awesome fantasy. <laughs> so David, after he saw the devil, decided it was time for an exorcism. He reached out to a woman named Cherry Vanilla, who, it must be noted, was a proprietor of one of America's very first phone sex services, and also uh, one of the central figures of Bowie's main man management company in the mid-70s. Cherry put David in contact with a woman named Wally Elmlark. And nothing is more reliable than a woman named Wally. <laughs> Elmlark. Armlark. Elmlark. Elmlark? Elmlark, like the tree bird. Because she was a white witch. Yeah, she was a white witch from the like New York. Bette Midler. <laughs> ah, oh, yes. No, that's a white bitch. White no. bitch. <laughs> she was a white witch from the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences that was located over on 14th and 7th, right over there in Which Manhattan. Probably in a goddamn porter buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next to the fucking to telephone booth. And, and Wally, she was, by all accounts, Super groovy 70s gal. She recorded, as for example, she recorded a spoken word album with Robert Fripp of King Crimson mm. in which she talked about how spirits from other places took the form of musicians such as Jimi Hendrix, Mark Bolan, lead singer of T-Rex, mm. of course, David Bowie, and Mike Gibbons, the drummer from Badfinger. Not David no, Crosby, I'm... huh? No Crosby involved. Hmm. Same time, you're not saying this correctly, Marcus. In order to correctly say the sentence, it must sound like this. See, they recorded a spoken word album with Robert Tripp. It's King Crimson, man. It was the fucking dopest shit I've ever heard, man. You talk about spirits from other places. They take the forms of musicians, such as Jimi Hendrix's one. T-Rex dude was one. He was a spirit. Mark Bowen. David Bowie, of course. He'd suck dick. (laughs) And Mike Gibbons, the drummer from Badfinger, which at the same time is just like, why him? Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't find out why she thought particularly just the drummer from Badfinger. Who Badfinger's... They're good. I'm going to say it's one of the worst names in rock and roll history. Mike Gibbons. Badfinger. <laughs> oh, Badfinger's fine. They had that song. Baby Blue is a fantastic song. I'm saying the name itself. It the sounds m- like a like a Down Syndrome Bond villain. <laughs> I am Badfinger. It's just... I am Badfinger. <laughs> okay. I want you to give me a cake, James Bond. 
I want you to give me your cake so that we can pretend it's my birthday. Bond. James Bond. Can you find me a better villain? This is embarrassing for my brand. So in a phone conversation from New York to Los Angeles, Elmlark gave Bowie a series of spells and incantations, plus a list of magical accoutrements that he could use to exercise his indoor pool of the devil. So Bowie and Angela, whom this account comes from, by the way, set up an old-timey lectern and began the exorcism. Now, Angie, who it must be said was more than a little skeptical about Bowie's occult dabblings, still had to admit that something strange did happen that night. She said she was totally sober, Mm. and she always thought that anything occult was total bullshit and that he was just sort of putting on airs and was, as she said, trying to scare Jimmy Page. Hey, uh, hey, turns out, uh, guys... Uh, you got a whirlpool. That's actually just that's a whirlpool. Every time you hit that button, you think it's a light. No, that turns on the that turns on the the, the whirlpool. So I don't see the possession, but this is a hot tub. You guys yeah. know that, right? Yeah. The so that's the bubbles come out of it because it's a it's a hot tub. I well, you guys are pretty nude. So once you get clothed, then we can kind of talk about my fee for just coming over here and just confirming that this is a hot tub. Okay. So as Bowie performed the incantations, the water in the pool started to bubble violently. Mm -hmm. And Angie says, not in the matter that, say, pool jets would create. And when the ritual was over, Angie said that there was a stain at the bottom of the pool that she said reminded her of a gargoyle statue. Very sinister. (laughs) And years later... Angela talked to the property's real estate agent who told her that no matter mm. what any new owner tried, no matter how many times they tried to repaint the pool, the stain came back every single time. It's a dookie, Mark. You'd <laughs> yeah. be surprised how hard it is to come out of the terracotta bottom of a pool. Uh, <laughs> and I will say it does look like a gargoyle form, yeah. but only because... Uh, <laughs> I got some hold of the, the client's <laughs> special powder over here. I don't know what this is. And my balls felt really moist, and so I decided to put it on my balls. But now I'm just seeing gargoyles everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so those of you who are particular fans of Nazi occult lore might have perked up your ears a little earlier when we mentioned the Vril Society. But you'll be happy to know that that wasn't the only fascination that Bowie had with Nazis and the occult. For around 1973, Bowie got a hold of a copy of The Spear of Destiny Mm. by Trevor Ravenscroft. We mentioned this book during our Nazi occult series as one that had me fooled for about its first 100 pages or so before I checked it out and discovered that the book was a complete and total fraud. Mm. If you don't remember, the general idea behind the book is that Hitler was a magically imbued super sorcerer who is obsessed with finding the Spear of Destiny, which bestowed upon those who discovered its secrets the power to rule the world. And now, while I had the power of the internet and the hindsight that living in the year 2016 gives me, Bowie had no such luxury in the early 70s and took the book for a complete and total Fact. I will say, cocaine was the original Google. Yes. You just had all the answers flowing through your head. It just gave you confidence. It yep. gave you confidence that you were right. He's seen devils in his pool. Um, again, Got- lips red from pepper residue. Right. 
Uh, Got dookie he gargoyles. Is a lot into everything. I think he would have picked up a menu and he was just like, "This is a wonderful book. It's got hamburgers and fries in it. I must. I have a new idea for a concert where I'll dress up as a giant burger and I'll go out to the audience and let them eat me." I do like that no, idea. No, David. David, you cannot make a character out of every single piece of paper you read. <laughs> so not only is the spear of destiny wonderfully bizarre and if if you're really interested in in nazi occult or like alternate history novels uh the spear of destiny is a fucking hoot man it is so much fun and let's I, not call it alternate history it's just li- lies yeah right? um, alternate yes. history an alternate a a fictional an, an historical yes. fiction book is what i would call it <laughs> Ben, it's yeah, a you know historical us. fiction. It, That's that is an no, actual I, literary genre, I know, Benjamin. I, I know, I know. It does give it a little <laughs> bit of gravitas, but I don't. But again, remember, it is alternate history to us. It is truth in some realm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but no matter how bizarre it is, you can actually see where Bowie may have gotten one or two ideas from it. In the chapter "The Drug-Induced Vision of Adolf Hitler." Ravenscroft described how Hitler, on the advice of a sinister hunchback who ran an occult bookstore in Vienna, took peyote. And with a dwarf named Hans as his trip sitter, Hitler hallucinated a series of past lives that convinced him that he was the rebirth of the villain Klingzor from the Wagner opera Parsifal, which Hitler believed was based on Landulf of Capua, an actual person. Then, now, we're not saying that this did not happen. Right. <laughs> it may have happened. It could be that when Hitler was living in Vienna before World War I, he may have known a sinister hunchback who owned a book called Bookstore. Mm-hmm. He may have taken peyote with a dwarf named Hans. We don't know. But. <laughs> well, if his life was written by David Lynch, then he definitely did. But supposedly, according to Trevor Ravenscroft, this convinced Hitler through a very roundabout way that I refuse to get into here that Trevor took about 40 pages trying to explain that Hitler was the Antichrist. Even though Bowie wasn't into hallucinogens, it is possible that he was trying to emulate Hitler's shortcut to transcendence because Bowie was obsessed with Hitler for a short period of time. And by obsessed, I mean him and Mick Jagger saw uh, a screening of Triumph of the Will uh, and Bowie got super into the showmanship of Hitler. Mm. Uh, And that's what he said. He said about Hitler that uh, Hitler was the first great rock star, that he turned an entire country into a stage show, uh, which he got into a lot of trouble for his yeah, pseudo-pro-Hitler stances at the time because he also said that he was so consumed with uh, the theatricality mm-hmm. of it all and he was so consumed with sort of the path uh, of the occult knowledge that the Nazis were trying to find that he totally forgot about all the bad things that they did. Right. Yes. Mick Jagger well, would have gotten just, into he it. He was really into the fashion. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was super into the fashion. And this is also when he's sort of... And that's, of course, at this point, he's starting to ramp up to what is possibly his most fashion-centric character, the Thin White Duke. 
And the Thin White Duke is the character that he created for Station to Station. And the Thin White Duke is what you become when you eat nothing but peppers and drink nothing but milk and do nothing but cocaine Ooh. for two years. Oh, you become wish- a tiny, sliver-thin husk of a human being with the palest white skin that you could possibly imagine. I just wish I had his confidence. I know. (laughs) I just wish I could have had this support system that he had that just were like, yeah. Every time David Bowie had an idea, they were just like, yep. (laughs) You go do it. Yo, yeah. And you you know what? He was right almost every time. He was. He was really good at it. (laughs) He was really good. Again, this is the dangerous thing. Remember, this is in the hands of a artistic genius he is a genius at doing this you can't just do it yeah no no don't you just can't do just it. walk around and be like i'm the fat wide fat wide prince you know what I mean? like you can't just walk around and be like hey 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 everybody hey 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 i sing old polkas and dirty polkas about how fat my wife is like it's not gonna good work you're, you're not gonna get superstar <laughs> a good dirty polka might might get you some fame the big oh, for the I fat white prince. You can have her. She's too fat for me. me. She's too fat for me. Hey, she's, she's too, too fat, fat for me. me. Hey, I don't no want her. You can have her. She's too fat for me. Hey, she's too fat. She's too fat for me. Hey, I love it. I Genius. can't wait to have a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as station to station go goes, it is amazing that Bowie survived the recording of this album. In fact, he doesn't even remember recording it he was quoted as saying i know it was recorded in la because i read that it was right and if you listen to when you listen to station to station which i I really hope you do after uh we finish this episode know that station to station one of the most brilliant albums of the 70s was recorded in 10 days Mm. it wasn't like say like television's marquee moon where they rehearsed 10 hours a day for six months before going in and recording it over a two-day period. He just walked into the studio, recorded this fantastic album in 10 days, doesn't even remember doing it, and then just left. And three of those days were spent on his mime tracks, which didn't translate. (laughs) Just didn't translate to the album. I was making a box. (laughs) David, I just don't know if it's it's an audio medium. Uh, Now I have to start again. I'm supposed to interrupt me. (laughs) How long is the track exactly that we're... As long as I can mime. (laughs) Oh, God damn it. More peppers. <laughs> so station is really blowing through these peppers. Wow! <laughs> like the, the Italian grocery next door would be like, I don't understand. Uh, how many a pallet of pepper we bring in? Huh? And I try and I try and I try and maybe maybe an orange pepper and maybe a green pepper. <laughs> no man, just reds. Good year for the pepper biz. <laughs> Two years of busy, busy pepper business. Some pepper farmer yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Just like, this bubble's never going to pop. <laughs> <laughs> so Station to Station has some of the most overt references to the occult since Hunky Dory. The Kabbalistic Tree of Life is explicitly referenced in the title track, as well as Crowley's pornographic book of poems, White Stains. Now, I think... Mm. 
It's been a long time since we've read anything from White Stains, not since our Great B666 episode a few years ago. Let's have Henry read a poem from White Stains. This one is called, Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Let my fond lips but drink thy golden wine, my bright-eyed Arab. Only let me eat the rich brown globes of sacramental meat, steaming and firm, hot from their home divine. And let me linger with thy hands in mine, and lick the sweat from dainty, dirty feet, fresh with the lost aroma of the street. And then anon, I'll glue my mouth to thine. <laughs> That's kind of a nice poem. <laughs> you got the vomit noises in the poem, huh? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, tell me, young Arab, what rhymes with... <laughs> Maybe like a... Something like that? Uh, I will say my. I think my favorite... Um, Two lines of any poem are the rich brown globes of sacramental meat, steaming and firm, hot from their home divine. He's I, eating shit in that, right? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, a roast that's beef. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Rich blou- brown globes. He's eating little dookie balls, steaming and firm, which that means they are fresh and the man has eaten his fiber, hot from their home divine, meaning... The asshole is what Alistair Crowley bees, uh, sees to be a holy place. David Bowie ate Dookie? No, Alistair Crowley did. Oh, we know that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> but we also don't know that David Bowie ate Dookie. He did hang out with Lou Reed a lot. And Lou Reed ate Dookie? Well, Lou Reed liked to have the plate glass done. Ah, the De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lou Reed had the plate, liked to have the plate glass done. And Lou Reed also did like to shit in mouths. Um, and huh. would very casually just walk up to him and was like, hey, you, you want to go uh, back to my hotel room and I'll shit in your mouth? And if they said no, he'd say, like, cool, and walk cool, away. Cool, All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you yeah, can't help but can't blame a guy for asking. <laughs> no, you cannot. Dookie King. So at any rate, the song Station to Station is essentially the coke-fueled roadmap of Bowie's misadventures in the occult. The line, you drive like a demon from station to station, coupled with the line, one magical movement from Kether to Malkuth, tells you that he realized by the time station to station came out that he went too far, too fast, and fried himself in the process of trying to find some occult knowledge. Because Hmm. Kether to Malkuth, uh, Kether, it's either, uh, Kether is the high, I think it's Kether is the crown, of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. It's the top. Malkuth is the bottom, the earth. And when he says one magical movement from Kether to Malkuth, he means that he tried without really doing anything in between to go from the bottom to the top and completely fried himself in the process. He was saying well, yeah, because that you're he did to, it it's wrong. It's supposed to be take years of prep. Yeah. It's years of meditation and and considering the chakras and doing all this. You're supposed to go through it stage by stage by mm. stage. And if you just try to coke your way through the kundalini line, you're going to come out sounding like a jackass. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, you're going to come out the thin white duke, a husk of a man, <laughs> like an absolute husk of a, a human being. Oh. Uh, which he's at the end, by station to station, uh, Bowie's at the end of a fruitless journey, but still trying to understand pictures that were taken that were used as the back cover to a later release of Station to Station show Bowie wearing 
black and white striped clothing sitting on the floor sketching the the Kabbalistic tree of life. Hmm. And it's this picture that connects Bowie's failed sojourn into the occult in the 70s with David Bowie's very last video, Lazarus, and his death soon after its release last week. Now, so. Bowie, before we, in between the stationization and Lazarus, we know David Bowie went through nine other like permutations. He did like the industrial thing. He was like he did a bunch of dance albums. He did a bunch of stuff. He became much more normal. Him and he married Amon. Well, yeah. I mean, were, not until beautiful kids. Well, not until, uh, but well, right after Station to Station, he recorded the Berlin trilogy, which uh, is awesome, which is amazing. And low, low, low is awesome. Heroes, Lodger, and then he followed that up with uh, Scary Monsters, which is also amazing. And then it's thirty years of pretty mediocre stuff. Oh, he like, got, he found love. Yeah, with Amon. Yeah, and like I yeah. think he married Amon in like the early '90s or something like that. He did good. He did good. He didn't have to do more than he already did. And I think <laughs> right. that's a, that's a thing to do. It's just like he had already made his mark. And at that point, you're making music because you like to make music. Yeah. But and then because Heroes, the Berlin trilogy, then just kind of feel like like he's just a really and a really good musician. He was a beautiful musician who who knew what he was doing, and he didn't. Uh, he kind of dropped some of the really extreme viewpoints of his younger career. Well, he right. was coming off of cocaine with Low. Low is the follow up to Station to Station. He's coming off of cocaine. Uh, at least it's his first attempt to kick cocaine. Of course, yeah, it was him and Iggy Pop got together because then him and Iggy Pop were really close. Well, it was, but it was more him and Brian Eno with Low. Uh, of course, Brian Eno was in Roxy Music. He produced the three best Talking Heads albums and produced one of the best albums of the '70s, "Here Come the Warm Jets." Uh, but if you listen to Station to Station, the what? Here come the warm jets. Yeah, I don't. Know, I feel like that's what uh, the uh, was like the guy who shits in mouse. Alistair Crowley. Oh, oh, Lou Reed. Yeah, Lou Reed. Here comes the warm jets. We're <laughs> 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 fighting for that poor woman, you know. <laughs> Here come the warm jets. <laughs> <laughs> How was your time with Lou? How was the date? Brown, brown date. <laughs> All right. But if you look. Listen to, to Low uh, and uh, Low. Um, the the first half, like side A, is you know they're they're fantastic David Bowie songs like Sound and Vision, Keep Crashing, I uh, Keep Crashing in the Same Car. But side B is mostly instrumental, uh, and to me, it sounds like a transition between one part of his life and the next. Is the first part, you know, that what he had been doing the last like four or five years that he had kind of been working towards this sort of working towards this knowledge, trying to find some sort of hidden secret knowledge. And then with Station to Station, he admitted that he failed, Mm. uh, that he hit a brick wall, he almost died, uh, and he had to start over. And the side and side B of Low to me really sounds like he's moving forward but having no idea where he's going next. Hmm. He has absolutely no idea what's in front of him, but he's still walking forward, which I think is something that Bowie took to the very end of his life, which brings us to Black Star. So for the last year or so, those of us who follow stuff like this have heard the cancer rumors about David Bowie. When he died of cancer, it was definitely, it, it affected me, but it wasn't, 
a shock because. Well, I, did I tell you that Kristen Milioti on A to Z is, on, is in Lazarus, his new musical, and she's been working with him for the past three months. And she was saying how he. I asked her, I was like, is he sick? Because I heard that he was sick. And she was like, well, he's here every day. Yeah. And he's. And he works really. He's been working like crazy. He had limited hours. Um, uh, and he sometimes came in looking like he had just come from treatment, but mostly it was like. What you're going to find is that he had had a full revamp creatively. He had come back over the last year and out of nowhere, when he got the terminal diagnosis of his cancer, and he said this, is that he, it's like he had that purpose kind of click back in. Yeah. Where he was like, I know what to do now. It's, it's, it's a full sweep back to my occult leanings. And Lazarus was a big, was a big step in that. And she also said he, wore, he had crazy sneakers and smelled really good. Hey, all right. <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. On November 19th, of last year, Bowie released the video for Black Star. Uh, <clears throat> and anybody who had heard the rumors and also anybody who was kind of interested in Bowie's occult leanings, as soon as you watch Black Star, it's, it, it's pretty much he's going to die in 2016. Because if you, if you haven't watched the video, it's absolutely beautiful, goofy at times. Like the, the, seizure, the seizure dancing. The seizure dancing. The seizure is, dancing like, is give me pretty a, fun. A black but man, it's... white man, little girl shake. <laughs> it's it's really it's really weird, uh, but the overall concept of the video is absolutely beautiful. So the first thing that you see in the video is a skeleton in a spacesuit, which harkens back to his first hit, Space Oddity. Mm. You know, Major Tom, all of that. And then when the Which little... Which is very interesting because then it's him going back to his own... That what Grant Morrison we talk about is just creatively creating these avatars for yourself. A Major Tom was probably his first real like symbol of himself as this sort of man lost in space. And then Black Star is where Major Tom goes. Yeah. He ends up on Black Star. And then we see when, he, when you c cut this, the, the astronaut's body with this head, it's the skull headed that's bejeweled, covered in jewels, much like the dead Catholic saints in display in churches across <clears throat> Eastern Europe. And he's pu putting himself as like Saint Bowie. Yeah, and that's not a far stretch. Mm -hmm. he, he, he's, he is self-aware. He knows that after he dies... People he's going to be out. yeah. People are going to freak oh, out. Yeah. He's going to be sanctified. He, he's going to be beatified. Like David Bowie, as long as people are talking about music, David Bowie will come up. And then after you get the uh, the spacesuit, the skeleton in the spacesuit, you see the bandages covering his face, which really is in both Black Star and Lazarus is I think the the creepiest image of them all because he's he's got these bandages over his eyes and he's got these tiny black buttons where the eyes should be and I think because also it's it's also I think it's an ironic self-expression of the idea of like blind prophet who paints eyes it's like this whole time you've looked at me as if a person who knows what's coming in the future but I don't and you view me as a, like and so in order to portray that it's like I am blind but I draw this symbol of eyes on me that you've done yeah. you've made me do because now you look at me and you believe that i have the fucking secret but i don't have the secret because i don't fucking know man <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen man yeah nobody it, knows i mean black star is i mean he is terrified 
Uh, if you watch these videos, he is not going gently into death. Uh, he's going into death not knowing what is coming next. And right. he is admitting to everyone that he has no idea what's coming next. And well, his producer said the same thing. He only had, when he came in, he only had several images in mind. And one was the crystal, it was, it was Major Tom. He was basically, he name checked Major Tom. And the other one is he wanted a lot of scarecrows. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because he thinks scarecrows are cool. Because when I first watched Black Star, I didn't know he was just about to die. I watched it and I was just like, David Bowie's doing something. I was just like, well, <laughs> it's got to be cool. It's got to be right because it's David Bowie and this is what he obviously, whatever he wanted this to be is exactly what he wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. You can never go wrong with a scarecrow. Out of ideas, use a scarecrow. Well, it's also at the scarecrow. Uh, it, there's also three scarecrows. It's oh. a reference to the crucifixion, to Golgotha, another occult reference. So those same bandages with black buttons link Blackstar to his final video that came out just three days before he died, Lazarus. One thing you might have noticed in that video were the strange black and white clothes that Bowie was wearing. And if you look back to the pictures of Bowie during the recording of Station to Station where he's sketching the Mm. Kabbalistic Tree of Life, he's wearing the exact same clothes. And I think that Bowie late in life when he was facing death returned to the occult studies that he had failed at so badly in his youth and it could be that it was only at the end of his life that he could truly understand that like he said in quicksand in 1971 knowledge comes with death's release oh my god yeah, rock and roll never dies <laughs> power and it really does it really doesn't and he will live on always because we because of what he meant to so many people and the the occult thing aside like just this, besides the symbolism is that the the reason why he is the most successful magician of all time is because his creations will will live forever, and it's showing that that, that it's a thing about art. Is that that that's all you need? That's where the magic is. The magic is in creating something that wasn't there before and living it and never looking back. And he, I don't know, it's it's kind of beautiful. It's it's incredible. He he will he's he's in history now forever. Yeah, it is yep. a beautiful life. It is a, almost a perfect artistic life. Uh, it, it's it's mm. insane that this man was able to at the end of his life. He didn't die in a dumb heroin overdose he didn't die in a car crash it wasn't sudden it was almost like he was ordained to do this like he yeah. was allowed to do this wow uh, but yeah rest in peace uh, uh david bowie uh he it's it's i don't know all right amazing what a what a uh, informative episode about a musical genius and an artistic genius all around yeah i mean that's what see he always on said. the other side bowie see you man that's what he always says that he wasn't he never considered himself a musician he considered himself an artist who used music as a yeah. medium. And I will say, a lot of people do want to see Bowie on the other side, but you didn't see him in real life, so you probably won't see him there either. Uh, he's busy. He's in, like, a special park, you know? He's just, like, being, like, really cool. Yeah, he's in the VIP section. Yeah, you're still have... not going to meet him. Yeah. So it doesn't, yeah. Tell me, Beethoven, do you have peppers here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. All right. Uh, what a great episode. Great research, everybody. That Thank was you. wonderful. Rest in peace, David Bowie. And I'm going to go back on that diet of his. You gonna Peppers, go- <laughs> milk, and Coke. It's going to be big. It's Let's see. Be- so what do we usually do at this point in the show? Uh, if you guys... Say hail Satan to everyone. Yeah. That's right. And if you guys uh, want to donate to our Patreon campaign, thank you to everybody who has donated so far. Uh, go to... Uh, 
patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. And you can donate however much you like. I hope everybody is enjoying the first shipment of bones that are coming in yeah, the mail. Absolutely. And, and uh, so, Henry, you were saying that you wanted to yell at all the listeners for not watching Heroes Reborn. Yes, you did this. <laughs> you did this. You, you, not you the Canadian it. staff, the Canadian <laughs> grips. But your uh, how's uh, your pretty face going? Everyone wants an update on that. Uh, we're fucking crushing it. Third nice. season's going to be the best thing we've ever done. Wonderful you man, can't wait. Yet. Awesome. Oh, and, if and you- uh, so, and I am so I am starting to include things on the Patreon campaign as well. Uh, that's coming up. Uh, I, I guess I will. Do, I'm doing readings of the Satanic Bible. Um, which is filling me with juice. Yeah? What kind of I'm, juice? Come. <laughs> I think I'm making love better since yeah, well, I let it, Satanic Bible. Let it out, though. You got to let it out. Don't want to oh, keep it all in there. there no, was, no, no, no. These, the pillows in this hotel room are living fear. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I, I mean, I, I'm uh, myself. I'm reading the Old Testament, and ever since I've started, I've been a lot angrier. All right, very <laughs> good. good. Yeah, if you read in the God voice enough, it starts to seep into your real life. Oh, that's exciting! I think I want to read something about duck hunting. <laughs> I was, I watched something on that the other day. Very difficult to to hit a duck. It really is. You can read whatever you like, man. Yeah. It's Ben's choice. Yep. So duck hunting, or maybe I'll just eat a couple of muffins. Describe and, those. And if you guys uh, want your uh, very own last podcast on the left t-shirt, go mm-hmm. to uh, cavecomedyradio.com slash merch. And while you're at cavecomedyradio.com, uh, listen to some of the other shows that me and Ben do together, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat and the Roundtable of Gentlemen, uh, and a couple other shows that I do with uh, Henry's sister Jackie, Page 7, and Sex and Other Human Activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and... Oh, and also, don't forget, this Saturday, uh, January 23rd, Yes, that's right. Uh, We have our uh, next last podcast on the left live show. We've got Hold McNeely from the Roundtable of Gentlemen sitting in for Henry while he's in Atlanta. Uh, And don't forget to join the Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at LP on the left. Perfect. And I'll tell you, man, these CCR shows are crushing. If you look at the i, uh, what is it? The uh, the iPad, the iPhone, tunes, the the iTunes. You look at the iTunes list. I mean, it's just nonstop CCR. Yeah, man, we're we've got like three or four song or three or four. uh, Even more than that, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's not this weekend. Jack has been on there. I mean, every yeah. uh, Marcus, you've done such a great job with the network. Hey, Good man, I couldn't have done it without all of you guys. Otherwise, I'd just be some asshole in a room uh, talking about David Bowie by myself. Ah, yeah. So thank yeah. you guys for doing this with me. That's right. This has been a beautiful experience. Everybody who's donates to this campaign and to Patreon is it's kind of overwhelming. It's 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 pretty fucking cool. And uh, thank you so much. Twenty sixteen is going to be a fucking year filled with satanic beautiful devilry it's gonna be a great year yes thank you guys so much and hail yourselves and oh my god i just checked the patreon campaign we're at five thousand nine hundred dollars if we get just a hundred dollars more the three of us are gonna do a uh, google hangout a live google hangout with every single patreon supporter uh in which uh we'll answer all of your questions live Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, we just need 100 more bucks for that. So you go to patreon.com slash lastpodcast on the left and help us get there. Yeah, and speaking of live, feel free to stop by the Creek in the Cave every Sunday. We usually record Roundtable at 6.30. We love having people come and watch the show. It's a really fun time to meet the fans and, and uh, hang out. Every week, you guys are more than welcome to come. All right, hail me as well. You know. Yeah, and hail Dean. Hail Bowie. Oh, yeah, hail Bowie. Thank you. 
Tillamook Chocolate Collection ice cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.